I think there's a whole as if that we do with all of the holidays. And on uh, Pesach, we see ourselves as if we really came out of Egypt ourselves. And on uh, Shavuot, we're as if we are standing at Sinai. And so we could say on Yom Kippur, we are standing together in community as if we've been completely cleansed. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to Hashivenu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. It's been a while. We took a kind of unintentional hiatus from recording the podcast. I had a wonderful year last year sharing the podcast with an amazing co-host, Rabbi Sandra Lawson. And going forward, Sandra might come and visit us, but I'm going to keep on as the primary host of Hashivenu. We are fast approaching the high holidays, and it always this feels always like a great opportunity to stop and pause and reflect on some of the themes of the high holidays. And for this episode, I'm so happy to welcome, welcome back Rabbi Vivi Mayer. Vivi is returning. Vivi was the, um, the guest on Hashivenu for the very second episode that we recorded. Also on the the themes of the high holidays, back in 2017, we spoke really expansively about the themes of tshuva. I've asked her back because we have a slightly narrower focus that I think I know we will find very interesting and I hope you will find interesting and meaningful too. Um, So Rabbi Vivi Mayer just recently stepped down as a longtime full-time faculty member at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. Um, And prior to that, she was a congregational rabbi in Connecticut at Congregation B'nai Israel. She is now living in Israel and teaching and building a life there. Vivi, thank you so much for for being here. It's my great pleasure to be here. So I have been very fixated on and uh, a little obsessed by the Avodah service, which is uh, part of the Yom Kippur afternoon or Musaf service late in the day, later in the day on Yom Kippur. And it is not a um, a part of ritual observance that I grew up with. It's something that I encountered in my adulthood. And I, I, I really want to unpack it. I think it has, uh, I'm finding it has a ton of resonance for me at this period in, in, in my life. And as we're moving through the world in these very intense times, and I really wanted to do it in conversation and especially in conversation with you, Vivi. So thank you so much for joining in with me around this, this mini obsession. And I wondered if you would um, help us set the landscape for our listeners, especially for people who, like me, are not so, when I was, when I was younger, not so familiar mm-hmm. with, with the Avodah service. Okay. Well, a lot of people who do go to shul, who, who do go to synagogue on Yom Kippur, miss the Avodah service because if exactly what you said. It's in a traditional service, it would be something like one or two o'clock. Everybody's going home to rest. So um, it's only the diehards that would uh, stick it through and and get you to be part of it. Um, So what I can say about it. So the Avodah service is a liturgical reenactment of 
a service that the rabbis imagine um, in the Mishnah as they look back to temple times and imagine what was done in the temple as a way of um, bringing collective atonement to the people of Israel. So it was, it was always Yom Kippur, a continuous thread. It's the atonement. Yes, yes. So the continuous thread is that it there was once upon a time an atonement service that we first read about as being enacted in the Mishkan, which is the traveling temple that stood in the middle of the camp in uh, in the desert, and it was a way of cleansing the Mishkan from the absorbed guilt and sin that the Mishkan was um, the Mishkan's purpose was to be a place of atonement and everybody brought their offerings to the Mishkan and then later through the temple in Jerusalem and the idea was that it's absorbing all of these uh, sin offerings guilt offerings and how do you clean the absorber of Mm -hmm. Of mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. everything, I think sometimes of the cat in the hat, mm-hmm. <laughs> where there's the pink bathtub ring. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they wipe the bathtub ring, and then the bathtub is clean, but then it's on the mother's dress, and then they shake out the mother's dress, and then the dress is clean, but then it's all over the yeah. walls, and then they keep trying to clean, and it doesn't go away it just spreads and spreads until at the end of the book there's this like magical moment um where i he calls these little elvy kind of people and they snap and it all goes away and so so the avodah (laughs) services i love this (laughs) it's a way of looking at it of how do we have this um it's the weight yeah. of of everything that's accumulated. So it happens in, in a person where we have the weight, it accumulates and accumulates when Yom Kippur is this great time of yeah. release. But what Yom Kippur is really enacting and celebrating is collective release. So the collective absorption is so much heavier yeah. and needs a different kind of ritual. And it's focused and centered on the temple. That's one piece of the Avodah is that it's very, it's in the center of the center of yeah. the center Yeah. because you go into the Holy of Holies of the, of the temple. But there's this other aspect of the Avodah that is that it's in the outside, 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 because you're also taking the goat of, uh, the scapegoat, you take yeah. the, the scapegoat, the Sayer Lazazel, and send it to the edge, edge, edge of either the Midbar, the desert, the wilderness, or the edge, edge, edge of Jerusalem over the cliffs of Jerusalem. So it's there's something that is at the d- deep center and at the widest edge. You, you're exactly getting to why I'm so fascinated by it this year is the paradox that is so embedded into it. I think like when I first encountered it, it just felt like, all right, but what does this have to do with us? It felt so remote to me. And now this, in this, at this stage of my life, at this state stage of what's going on in the world, like the paradox, both of the, that, 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 which is the means to our, our own 
purification can get soiled, like the paradox inherent in that. And that the Holy of Holies is imagined by some to be the navel of the universe, like this most concentrated inner place. But then there's, it also it extends outward to the furthest extremes. It, it's I, that's that tension, that pulsation, that paradox is that's exactly what is, is drawing me mm-hmm. in. You, you went right to the heart of it. Yeah. And speaking to that with the center and the outside, I'm, there's this aspect of the, of the Avodah service where the, the high priest does three atonements. And the first one is for, himself and his family. And then the second one is for all of the house of Aaron, which means all of the Kohanim, all of the priests who all serve in that uh, intermediary and atoning role. And then the third uh, atonement is for all of Israel. So it's like you've got to first clean or atone your most, the center most, and then your tribe or family and then this the whole the whole people so that there also is this um inside outside right and i think i i think that there's paradox there too because even as they are concentric circles i think the point of them is that they are all interconnected and that whatever distinctions between them ultimately get dissolved in, in a claim of interdependence within this larger system. So for me, that feels like also some of the tension, some of the paradox that I find really compelling as well. I, I hope for our listeners, if we haven't been clear, uh, just, just to recap, and, and maybe we have, but just to recap, um, the Avodah service is basically a narration of what we just kind of both described and discussed at the same time of this, of the high priest entering in to, to the Holy of Holies three times and making sacrifices for in, the, in the service of the cleansing that Vivi was discussing, and then each time coming out and seeking this forgiveness. Vivi, do you want to talk about how the, how the community responded? Yeah, so this is, before I describe that piece, I want to talk about how we don't have the temple and we don't have the goats and we don't have atonement through blood. We don't have any of that. And what we do have is the, uh, you know, the words of Mm -hmm. it's Leviticus 16. So we have that passage that describes it. And we have the words of the Mishnah, which describes it in greater detail. So it's a little bit like that, uh, the Hasidic story of like the, there were miracles in the forest and now we don't remember the place, we don't remember the miracles, we don't remember the fire, but we do remember the story that there was such mm-hmm. a thing. So that's kind of where we are with the Avodah service. So our service is all words yeah. with um, a high point of, of bowing in full prostration, but the high point of our service, which is they do connect to the in the Mishnah's description, is the verse for okay, 1630. Okay, and I'm reading from um, Everett Fox's translation. For on this day, atonement is to be effected for you, to purify you from all your sins before the presence of 
Yud Hey Vav Hey, you will become pure. In, in Hebrew, Ki Bayom Hazeh Yechaper Alechem Mikol Chatotechem Lifnei Adonai Titaru. Anyway, so the, the Pasuk ends, the verse ends with this phrase, Titaru, you will become pure. And that becomes the effecting of the atonement of the Avodah service, where the, um, the, the high priest makes a confession over whatever the particular sacrifice is of the three times and says, I've sinned, I've transgressed, and God is going to forgive us for on this day, atonement is to be effected for you, to purify you before the presence of Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. And at that moment, the mention of God's name, all of the congregation bows down onto the ground. And while the high priest is saying, is pronouncing that the Tetragrammaton, actually pronouncing it, the people are calling out, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchutoli Olam Va'ed. Blessed is the name of God's of God's kingdom forever and ever. And this is like this was the only time that God's name was said aloud. The, the, to, these, these three in the, times in public, right? Yeah. And or at least that's what they say. I wasn't yeah. there, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, so that the the name is pronounced, and then the pasuk is concluded with the word titharu. So they are hearing it as um, an actualization. That's this, if the, the atonement is happening yeah. in that verse. So I feel and like... I, just to pause, like they, they, I try to imagine it. They fall, the crowd falls flat on its face, like in awe, both of the name and, and of the that reality that you just described. And so the, I just the humility that is, uh, and the gratitude, I think that is present in that moment um, and, 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 and voiced through praising God's glory is it, it's just very, that's very moving to me that, mm-hmm. that, that moment uh, the, the efficacy and then the response to it. The, mm-hmm. Yes. And what we have now that we don't have in the temple is, so like the, the rabbis were saying, what do we do with this, um, with, with this worship? They said, it, we don't have the service, but we have the day. Mm-hmm. And they say, Etzem yom hakipurim mechaper. It's the, it's the essence of the day that effects this atonement. And so in this verse of 2330, it starts, Ki mm-hmm. for it is, you could say, you could translate it on this day as Everett Fox translates, but the- But you could say through, right? Through this day, with this day, exactly, with the bet, Ki it is with this day that we are effecting atonement. Yeah, yeah. One of the things- that we learn in rabbinical schools that every act of translation is an act of interpretation. And that, that little preposition ba could really could be translated in so many different ways. And this is an instance of where that translation has hugely different significance. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's 
I think um, if I could bring in like the, you know, a big theological um, challenge or, you know, uh, question was how is there going to be atonement that once the temple is destroyed? Because well, the temple it, was right. the place of, of blood sacrifice. And as much as we are happy to have outgrown that, there was a real question of can sin really be um, expiated? And the answer is yes, because there's Yom Kippur. Right. That's, I think that's, I am so struck. There's, a, there's an associated teaching that at the end, the, everyone is joyous. When this ritual is over, according to the rabbi's account in the Mishnah, the people get up and they are joyful and the high priest comes out and his, his, his face is shining with so much light that medieval poets wrote you know, poems about it. And, and then they, I love this image. They all accompany the high priest home and he hasn't been home for a week. He's been secluded in the temple studying to prepare for this. Um, and they have, so they have complete certainty that it has worked. There's like, there's, there's a, there's so much. And so the end of Yom Kippur, which many of us experience as like one of depletion and of like, uh, you know, just endurance, According to the Mishnah, our ancestors experienced it as joy. I mean, probably they were tired and thirsty as well, but they had such joy because of their, mm -hmm. their conviction that this worked. And I have some holy envy of that conviction. And I have some, you know, and we we live with so much more uncertainty. You know, we we the world is different not only because the the temple doesn't stand, but all that it offered up for them also isn't isn't there mm -hmm. we have to right to live into that uh reality of of being um of having a clean slate yeah as if it's true look i think there's a whole as if that we do with all of the holidays so on uh, pesach we see ourselves as if we really came out of egypt ourselves and on uh, Shavuot we're as if we are standing at Sinai and so we could say on Yom Kippur we are standing together in community as if we've been completely cleansed yeah and uh, that's part of the connection between Sukkot and Yom Kippur is that in this in that absolute cleansing and absence of sin that's when we go and do the seven the seven day feast of of thanksgiving zman simchatenu the season of mm -hmm. our joy yeah and the harvest of all of that i think that that for me that's the invitation to really do the hard work of yom kippur that it's it's uh, i mean i definitely it is about more than showing up in the halls of the, of the synagogue and, and just listening to the, the, whatever the liturgy is, but it's, it's the introspection and the repair and the, the pledge to, to do better, you know, to take responsibility and to do better. That, 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 that's the pathway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And imagining using the power of imagination, like to say, what would I be like if I, we're on a clean slate. Yeah. In the same way we say, what would I be like if I had really come out of Egypt? If I were truly free? That's uh, 
I think that for, you know, in, in doing the holidays, the power of imagination is, yeah. is a strong component. Um, I wanted to mention two, first of all, there's a, a, a beautiful, I, I don't think it's more than five years old, a song by Yishai Rebo. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, I'm so glad you. So Yishai Rebo's amazing song, Seder HaAvodah, which is basically the Avodah service as popular music. And if you want to listen to it, we've included a link in our episode description to the song and also to the translation so that you can kind of unpack. And it's really fun to do it with the traditional service and, and his really thoughtful and powerful, the changes that he's made, the reconstruction, the reimagination that he's done mm-hmm. is really, really beautiful. Yeah, that's reconstructionism. There you have it. <laughs> that song yeah. verbatim, take, you know, through the Mishnah, walks us through, he, he disrobes, he puts on his gold clothes, he takes it off, he puts on his white clothes, he comes in, he dips his hand in the blood, he goes... And he starts to sprinkle, and it's it's very you know step by step the way the avodah service is described, and then he does this great thing with the song because in the avodah service there's a simple counting where he's counting one sprinkle and then seven sprinkles, and he counts one of blood. Yes. Taking the blood. This is a, and this is a blood. This is a, the, the purify. Yeah. The, the purification of blood. Parochet onto the curtain and count. I think so. I think it's the curtain or sprinkle it onto somewhere by the Holy of Holies and saying one, one and one, one and two, one and three, one and four, one and five, one and six, one and seven. Makes me think of Jim where we had to really count all the... So you don't lose track of your of what you're doing. So what Yishai Ribo does in this in his um, song, he the first stanza he talks about, I'm counting my sins, one, two, three, and when I count and count and count the sins, I I feel the the heaviness and the shame and how many how many things do I have to atone for, and in the second verse when he counts one and two and three of so much chesed, so much forgiveness and so much space that you provide a hundred and thousands and, you know, just so much, um, so much love. So that's a very moving kind of twist that he does to the Mishnah. The thing that is so amazing about that song is that, so Yishari, Bo is a uh, French-Israeli musician, and this is a massive hit in Israel. The, all the details that you were just counting off, Vivi, like they can be deadening in a certain way. Like, and it's it's a lot of words on the page, and and definitely, there are times when I've read through like the the Mishnaic text and thought like this is so dry. Like, surely this was so full of drama, and what we have on the page is so very very dry. And he really does do so much of the of the Mishnah. He, he records it, um, and with that gloss of the interior experience of the Kohen Gadol of the high priest, which is not present at all in the Mishnah. Th- there's an invitation to imagine it, but there's actually Mishnahic teachings about like, well, what if the high priest is a bum, and what are the precautions that the people have to take? Like, what if he gets himself drunk beforehand? And so the the qualifications for this position was 
genetic and familial and bodily perfection, not spiritual perfection. And they certainly wanted the spiritual perfection, but so he does the imagining of this very serious and very spiritual and very intentional high priest. And what he does is beautiful and what he, how he, the chorus comes to when the people respond and he's, he, he's able to capture some of the holiness and the excitement of the people. And, um, and it was a massive hit in Israel. And so you had very secular Israelis able to sing along word for word in his concerts these lines from the Mishnah about Yom Kippur practice, everything about the story just delights me. Just, it's just so great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the ending of that song, I love it so much because it's, he, he ends with the Ashrei, which also in the Avodah service that ends with Ashrei Ha'am Shekachalo. How, like, just how blessed is a people who has, this who has this atonement available to it um and that shining face of the claim that you mentioned and um i wanted to i wanted to say uh this other reconstructionist thing that i i've done in um high holiday services so cause exactly how you started and you were saying how you didn't even um register this service until you were in rabbinical school, and a lot of people don't. Uh, when I was leading services for Yom Kippur, it was in Temple Emmanuel in Wakefield, Massachusetts. Rather than having the Torah reading, where we read Leviticus 16, and then we go into the whole Musaf service, and then in the repetition of the Musaf, then we do the Avodah. So what I wanted to do it while people were still fresh in the day to do the Avodah service while we were doing the Torah reading because it's the it's the text of mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Torah reading. So after there are uh, six aliyot on Yom Kippur, we worked it so that um, after one or, if, you know, at certain points in the service, we would pause and then read the confession from the Siddur and people would do the bowing interdispersed with the aliyot of the Torah reading. So we were reading the Torah about this service, Mm -hmm. and then in between the aliyot, we were doing it. And acting it out. Wow. Acting it out. And I I think it was very powerful. Yeah. And we got to say that pasuk over and over again, because that's the... You know, that's the drumbeat of the service. So we're saying, And then it came at the end of the Torah reading. Yeah. And so they heard it thought in the original. They heard it thought in the original. It was, it became, yeah, they really um, related to it. So you built to it. You, you built to it both in saying aloud and it actually, and enacting so that when it actually was read aloud from the Torah, it really, it, it like vibrated with significance. Right. When it was actually read aloud from the Torah, we had already done the three confessions and had already used it as, as liturgy. <laughs> and, uh, and then the Musaf was, uh, uh, you know, we omitted the Avodah service yeah. from the Musaf. Yeah. yeah. Did, so did people, people, they, they 
got it in, in different, in different yes, ways? Yes, I feel that they did. And I, I was able to do it, or I should say I was, I, um, you know, Zachiti to do it another, I, I, I merited doing it another time when in uh, New Mexico. Um, and yeah, it was very um, present and alive. It was the acting it out. That's really great. The first time I led Avodah service in a the Avodah service in a really extended way was uh, at my minion Dorshe Derech, and the Reconstructionist Machsor has it interspersed throughout the Musaf service. Um, and so you do the three times uh, the the three concentric circles with other reflections and readings to kind of heighten the themes. And one of the things I remember I did was I, a lot, a lot of other people were doing the readings. It was a great way to get people participating and, um, and also to give myself a rest because it's, I was the, the main leader and the Musaf service is long and was kind of demanding. And so my, my wife, Christina read a lot of the explanation. And when we got to the line, what, what the people said together, we would, I, I chanted, Baruch Shem Kavod Machuto Leolam Vad, blessed is God's glorious name forever and ever. I chanted it in Hebrew and Christina read it in English simultaneously. And it was just, it was, I mean, this was 20, 20 plus years ago. And I remember um, there was a, like, this kid was about seven or eight um, who was in the room when we did it. And he said to his mother, I'll bet you they did that on purpose. You know, and, there, there, there was, and it was just so, it was like what we were, we were just trying to like call attention to it and like, and like, you know, those things to do to like, to make it resonate. And he said to me 10 years later, I still remember when you did that. Like, I, mm-hmm. I you know, like it, that made such an impression on me. And I hope it was the meanings of the, the word and, and, and the impact of the service beyond like just the, the shtick we did to try to yes. heighten, you know. And, I, I, and yet... There's a lot to be said for shtick because there are people of all kinds that need to hook in in some way. And I think shtick, I mean, that's a kind of a funny word, but, you know, all the pieces of, you know, of, I, I don't know what the word is, but there's probably another word for shtick that will yeah. actually capture it, like high ritual and yeah well it, it, what, pomp it's and it, circumstance it's, it's true it's true stick is like stick is dismissive in a way i don't mean it like what we were trying what i always imagine especially in response to hearing god's name said aloud is like you know like with with the with the images that the torah gives us of at the giving of torah at sinai that people heard lightning and they saw thunder like the synesthesia mm-hmm. that happens like yeah. i think of like such a heightened moment and and that there's, there, there's a multitude and things that beyond at the edge of our understanding and what we were part of what we were trying to do in speaking in Hebrew and English simultaneously. We worked hard yes. at it. We practiced it a lot was to try to just like in a quick moment without stopping everything, you know, we were, we absolutely were trying to heighten it. And that, you know, that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, um, and, and if someone remembers it 10 years later, yeah, that yeah. Was successful. Yeah. I think that's right. <laughs> So we, we've been talking for a while. I, I think I want to ask for your thoughts on the thing that has stuck with me the most um, in, as I've been reading and thinking about this is actually after the service, like that moment when the people, I love this, that it's captured that the people accompany the high priest home. Like he's he's been away mm-hmm. and he's returning to his home. And because I just think about 
what happens next, you know, because this is an annual mm-hmm. ritual like that. The temple gets contaminated again. We, we make our, we do our, you know, our, our, our reflection. We make our repairs. We seek out atonement and we, then we err again. And I just, I think that, you know, that here he, he, and it was always, it was always and only a he mm-hmm. was just at the most intense place and at the most intense time doing the most intense thing and then he goes back and like surely he was a wealthy man but even so like the dishes have to get washed and you know the laundry has to get done Mm -hmm. and how we have to we have to go back to our everyday life yes with glimmerings of and that that's true that's it's true for them as it is for us you know, that's the point, an absolute point of continuity from then to now. Yeah, re-entry, re-entry. Right. Well, that reminds me of the mitzvah to go out after Yom Kippur, after you've eaten and you start building your sukkah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it, it, nothing stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything you want to add? Anything you want to say as we wind down? Yeah. I'm just, I'm aware that we did not so much talk about the scapegoat, which oh, is yeah. such an important element. And so th- there's this, it's part of the simultaneity of this. I think when you were talking about you and Christina doing this simultaneous thing, and we talked about the circles that are, you know, there's the inside and the outside, but as this is, as the service is happening inside, there is this that is accompanying the scapegoat to the edge of Jerusalem. And there's supposedly, or this, when the scapegoat is thrown over the cliff, um, I know that's violent, but then the there's a, a, a piece of thread in the temple that's supposed to turn from red to white. Mm-hmm. And it says in the Mishnah, like if you're, if you're seeing this, you can't see that, or even more in the temple there are things that there's so much going on um there are multiple places of activity if you're watching this you can't be watching that and surely if you're you know if you're following the goat you can't be following what's it going on inside mm-hmm. but there's something about the collective in in this and i think of people in the shul you have people who are inside the service you have people who are at the door because there's so many people come on yom kippur you have people at the parking lot you've got people in the center center and at the edge edge and everybody is making it happen even if they don't get to be inside Mm. so that feels important there were people that were it says they, they set up little sukkot all along the path of the of the um, escorting the the, um, the scapegoat yeah. because it is Yom Kippur, but if the if if the man bringing the Kohen bringing the the goat across needed to eat drink, eat something, there was they were there with food for just in case he needed because he's walking from the temple all the way to like Mount Scopus area as he fasts. Wow, yeah, wow. Oh, yeah, I love so that. There's... I love that image. Like that it takes all of us. The and the collect yeah. the collect collective collective guilt, collective expiation, but and also collective building, collective and collective 
execution of a complicated choreography. Yeah, yeah, collective responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's a lovely way to end. Uh, thank you. I mean, for, thank you so much for uh, for everything, Vivi, for, for all the many, many conversations we've had and this one captured on tape. And I, I hope that this is um, one of the things that makes me very grateful to be a religious Jew. One of it has to do with the, the, the fact that I am invited in, I'm asked to have conversations it, it, with the prayer book or with the community about things that I wouldn't necessarily turn my own attention to. Like it holds me accountable and it gets me up out of my own internal preoccupations in wonderful ways. And it's also this invitation to reflect on where, who, who I am this year as I approach the high holidays. So as I said at the, at the top, like I, this service has just, uh, has felt like the, the, the poignancy and the paradox and the complexity has really, really called to me this year. And I, I hope that's true. And, and then, and this is of use to some of you who are listening. Um, thank you, Vivi. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks to all of you for uh, listening to my conversation with Rabbi Vivi Mayer about Yom Kippur and high holiday themes in general and about the Avodah service in particular. You can find more information about some of the things we've discussed uh, in, over the course of this conversation in our episode description and also on the website for Hashivenu, which is hashivenu.fireside.fm. And you can find many, many more high holiday resources on reconstructingjudaism.org on ritualwell.org, and at evolve.reconstructingjudaism.org. Please, it would be so helpful if you would subscribe and rate and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I am Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and you've been listening to Hashivenu, Jewish Teachings on Resilience. Thank you so much, Vivi, and Shana Tovau Mituka, sweet and a happy and a healthy new year. Oh, amen. Shana Tova to you, to everybody. Shana Tova. Hashishan Feinu.